I think just across the board, scare tactics, they don't work. People just kind of shut down. They're not helpful. Leading with risk is not helpful, especially for someone who's pregnant. I think that there is a way to address these things very gently with a lot of understanding and just like presenting all of the information. You're listening to Burnt Toast. I'm Virginia Solsmith. Today, I am chatting with Wendy Lopez and Jessica Jones. Wendy and Jess are nationally recognized registered dietitian nutritionists and certified diabetes care and education specialists. With over a decade of clinical experience, they have helped thousands of individuals improve their relationship with food and achieve better health outcomes. You probably know them from the beloved Food Heaven podcast, which had over 5 million downloads and explored evidence-based nutrition, mental health, health at every size, intuitive eating, and body respect. One thing I really admire about Wendy and Jess, who I've known for a long time and have watched really grow in this space, is how they've built this really impressive online platform for all of these conversations, and yet also recognized when they were getting burned out and it was time to pivot. So today we are talking about that whole process, but we're also talking about their new project, Diabetes Digital, an innovative platform designed to empower individuals to effectively manage and prevent diabetes through virtual counseling, digital resources, support, and guidance. It's a very cool project. I'm super excited about it. You guys ask questions about diabetes all the time, and I think this really will help fill a space that is currently there in the diabetes landscape. And paid subscribers will also get our bonus segment, Listener Questions, where Wendy and Jess are going to talk about what you want to know about gestational diabetes, about managing diabetes with a history of disordered eating, and how to know when do you need an RD and when do you need a therapist. It is such a good bonus conversation. To hear it, just click the subscribe link in your episode description or go to virginiasoulsmith.substack.com. Burn Toast subscriptions are just $5 a month or $50 for the year. You get a ton of cool perks, including all of these fun listener question segments. And you keep this an ad and sponsor-free space. So here are Wendy and Jess. All right. So you guys are definitely best known as co-hosts of the podcast Food Heaven. When I said you were coming on, people are like, I love Food Heaven. I mean, it's a cult following to be sure. And you did this for 12 years, which is like ancient in podcasting terms. Like, I mean, like great grandmothers of podcasting. (laughs) I mean, that is a compliment. This is a pro-aging podcast. I mean, that's how it feels. Yeah. Yeah. We did the podcast for seven years and Food Heaven for 12. Just so, because yeah, 12, I'd be like, oh my God. Okay, well, whatever. It's a long time to have like an online brand, period. It's a long time to do anything in your life. (laughs) 12 years is a long time. But you've made some really big pivots lately. I would love to hear a little bit about, you know, what inspired this. I'm curious to hear a little more about it. It was a combination of things. One of the biggest things was being burned out by being in the online space and just like the constant influx of content and especially working in the nutrition space. There's just like so much content that is misinformed, that's diety, that is just like exhausting to consume. And even if we're not like engaging with it or like following that type of content, you still get it one way or another. Mm -hmm. And then also like being in this like anti-diet space, that can be exhausting 
exhausting as well. <laughs> like all of the content related to that. I just think like content in general, it was just like exhausting. Yeah. It was very fulfilling up until it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And we also wanted to just spend more time offline. Oh God, I relate to this so much. We're still like very passionate about nutrition education, but we wanted to take that offline. That's why we started our new business. We want to connect more so with people one on one, have real conversations, have those like really complex, tough conversations that can't be captured in like an infographic Mm -hmm. or reels or whatever. It's just so polarizing online. So we were like, okay, how do we get back to why we originally came into this line of work? How do we have those conversations with people? and make like a meaningful impact. And so we decided to transition out of the online space a little bit. We're still active, but we're not as active. And just like get some clarity on what it is that we actually want to do. So we did a hard pause on the podcast and we will likely be phasing it out. We're still kind of figuring it out. But, you know, like just mentioned, we have a new business that we're doing. And I think our energy is going to be focused on that moving forward. Yeah. We've also done a whole podcast series on this pivot because we didn't want it to be something where A, we just disappeared. Mm -hmm. Because like that was definitely an option. Like, Goodbye. Just ghost. Just <laughs> Irish goodbye, the whole Actually, internet. Yeah. Like control, yeah. I'll delete on yeah. all of this. I'm sure there's a lot of folks, like you were even saying with yourself, who can see themselves in just like this burnout and this what's next. And I really had no clue. Like, I was like, I'm going to be done with all of this. I think we were just taking that time, you know, in therapy or even, you know, working with a business coach to just allow that space to ask these questions, to process like the last 12 years, what's worked, what hasn't worked. How do you not get in the same patterns of, you know, not saying that food heaven was a toxic work environment, but in some ways, yes, because we're very much like we can do everything. We'll take it all on and we'll burn out and we Mm -hmm. can't delegate. So like, how do we work on those things? So that's pretty much what made us decide to pivot. And I'll never forget, I was listening to, I don't know why I was listening to Jay Shetty. (laughs) Do you know who Jay Shetty is? I don't think I do. Say who it is in case the listeners don't. Well, he is... I don't know. He, he's a monk, okay. a former monk that some people find problematic because I guess there's evidence that he steals his quotes. I don't know. Whatever. So the celebrities <laughs> love him. And so I was like, how okay. is Jay Shetty like made it to my podcast feed? But he did say something <laughs> that resonated with me. And it was something about like, you know, it's time to pivot when you're doing this work and it almost feels like you're doing it more for other people people than for yourself. And I don't know if you use the word performance, Mm -hmm. but kind of like you're doing what other people expect of you and not necessarily what you want to do. And that resonated because I was like, we have been really invested in, you know, the conversations around intuitive eating and all these things. And they are so important. And also we have been having the same conversation for the past, I would say like eight years. Mm And we're ready to have a new conversation. And I think that that quote helped me realize like, okay, this conversation for me to be happy and fulfilled needs to evolve a little bit. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely makes sense. I did just Google Jay Shetty out of curiosity. He (laughs) describes himself as a monk turned millionaire. So, well, yeah, there you go. go. (laughs) Folks can explore him at their leisure. And Uh, that's why people find him problematic. But I totally get it because sometimes people you have all kinds of complicated feelings about still say something useful. 
I've been thinking about just watching you guys over the years. Like you make so much content for free between Instagram and the podcast. I think a lot about how much this kind of work asks us to make lots of things for free for people and how problematic that is. There's just so many layers to how the burnout can happen. So I think it completely makes sense what you're saying and that you're looking to take the conversation somewhere deeper and different. Yeah. Yeah, And there's also a lot of voices in, you know, this space. Like, Mm -hmm. I think before coming into nutrition, like this whole idea of intuitive eating, health at every size, it was very new, at least when I entered the world of nutrition. Now there's a lot more people talking about this, bringing awareness, a lot more dietitians who have this background. And so, you know, it's okay to gracefully bow out. <laughs> we feel like it's in good hands. Yeah, that's a, that, And that's super positive because we were always about being culturally inclusive and culturally relevant. And a lot of our podcast, you know, focused on that. And especially before 2020, because I know that after 2020, there was a lot Um, more people focusing on all those things in culture. But for us, it had always been a part of the conversation for Mm -hmm. these past 12 years and racism and social justice and especially, you know, the intersections of food and nutrition and all those things. So I am happy that there are a lot more people who are incorporating this into their work because it means it allows for, you know, just a more diverse conversation from, you know, different folks. And I think that's a good thing. We are excited for what the future holds. Yeah, yeah. I think all the time about an episode you guys did in 2020. We were basically like, stop asking us to do so much. Why we're over it. was it. a masterclass <laughs> in boundary setting. It was you guys saying like, as Black women, we're being asked to do all of this extra work right now because a bunch of you just got here and just arrived at this conversation that we've been having for years. And that's really invalidating. And I just think about it a lot. It was such a powerful episode. And this feels like a continuation of that very important boundary setting. So very happy yep. for both of you. I remember that episode. We were mm-hmm. completely over it. Yes. I mean, <laughs> yeah. as well you should have been. It was absurd. So let's start talking about the new venture, Diabetes Digital. What inspired this project? As we mentioned, we took some time to think and reflect on why we got into the field of nutrition in the first place, what we see for ourselves over the next like 10 or 20 years. And it definitely isn't dancing on the gram. No shade to anyone who (laughs) has fun dancing on the gram. We realized we want to do less social media, more direct impact. As Wendy mentioned, we're both dietitians and diabetes educators, and we both have a family history, too, with diabetes as well and with prediabetes. I mean, I had prediabetes during the pandemic. We know that there are so many people, especially Black and brown folks, who are affected by these things and we were thinking like, how great would it be to be able to kind of bridge the gap with all the work that we've been doing through Food Heaven and being weight inclusive and culturally relevant and bridge that with something that so many people deal with on a day-to-day basis, whether it's diabetes or trying to prevent diabetes, people who may have like borderline. So that's kind of where the idea came from. There are a couple of people who 
are doing this, but not many. And, you know, and there are people who are doing diabetes work like through a culturally inclusive lens. And so I want to, you know, shout out Lorena Drago, who's been doing the work, Constance Brown Riggs, both dietitians. But we haven't seen many people who are bringing all these things together. So that's kind of where it came from. We want things to be financially accessible as well. There are so many people who wouldn't be accessible otherwise to not use insurance. So Mm -hmm. we're trying to be able to accept as many insurance carriers as possible. And, you know, many of the patients who we've worked with who have diabetes, they'll come to us and say, oh, my doctor just gave me this list or my doctor told me I have to cut out all these cultural foods. And so what we realize is doctors for the most part, have a very limited training when it comes to nutrition and also with diabetes. And they think that you have to cut out all these carbs and that's just not the case at all. And so part of this is helping with a lot of the misinformation out there as well. So that's kind of where it came from. This is one of the most common questions I get asked whenever I write about weight and health or do an interview about it, you know, it's okay, but what about diabetes? Like, it's almost framed as this is how we're going to catch you with your weight inclusive healthcare talk. What other misconceptions do you see in terms of what people commonly encounter around weight and diabetes management? Yeah, one of the biggest misconceptions is that you have to lose weight in order to improve your blood sugar. And we know that significant intentional weight loss is very hard long term. This is backed by research. And so oftentimes achieving glucose control, it becomes synonymous in medical settings with weight loss. So we see providers all the time saying you have to lose weight in order to improve your A1C, which is an indicator of like your blood sugar balance. And they might even recommend extreme diets, you know, like just said, like cutting out carbohydrates, which mm-hmm. is misinformed or like really rapid weight loss methods, which now it's like it becomes even more complicated because these GLP-1s have become even more popular, like Ozempic, for example, which is used for, I mean, it's intended for type 2 diabetes, but now it's also being promoted as like this weight loss drug. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes intertwined when really it's possible to achieve glucose balance at a higher weight, independent of weight loss. It's two separate things. And then once you start recommending these like extreme diets and weight loss measures, you start having other issues like nutrient deficiencies. You start having a lot of fluctuations with your glucose because you might be restricting and binging. And that becomes really hard especially when you're on medication, which for many people with type 2 diabetes or just diabetes in general, they might need medication. Like, for example, if you're on insulin and you're doing these restrictive diets, your risk for hypoglycemia, which is when your blood sugar drops too low, is much higher. And that Mm -hmm. becomes very dangerous because you can pass out. You can go into ketoacidosis. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, complications that can happen if your blood sugars are running really high and then are running really low Mm -hmm. when you start having, you know, these ups and downs. And so I think reframing the conversation and removing the focus from weight, instead having conversations around improving someone's relationship to food and also exploring like what other things can impact blood sugars, like their stress, mental health, sleep is a really big one, mm-hmm. medication adherence, you know, like, are you taking your medication consistently? Do you understand the dosing and the frequency of medications? Because 
because there can be huge gaps with that as well, because maybe providers focus a lot of their session on like weight loss. And then they didn't really go over like what the plan is for medication, because these diabetes medications can be very complicated, like the instructions, especially if you're on multiple medications and you're on different types of insulin. And so if we focus more so on like all these other things that are likely to like impact blood sugar a lot more than weight, I think there would be improved health outcomes for people with diabetes, especially type 2 diabetes. And for people with type 2, I mean, you can develop type 2 diabetes at any weight, especially Mm -hmm. if there's like a genetic predisposition. Like if you have a strong family history, you're at a higher risk. So it's really important to look at the labs, at like the metabolic markers to inform what the intervention is going to be versus like what the number on the scale is. I mean, just as you're talking, I'm also thinking like, so much of the focus on weight loss comes from the fact that we really blame people when they get type 2 diabetes, right? How do you see that bias against folks with type 2 intersecting more broadly with medical racism and with the kind of cultural biases we see playing out in healthcare? I feel like more often than not, (laughs) patients from marginalized communities may encounter healthcare providers who make assumptions about their lifestyles or what they are or aren't doing. And I will always use this example of myself where I was asking a doctor, I was like, hey, can you check my vitamin? I think I was asking to check B12 and iron or something like that. And they were like, no, you don't need to check those. And I was like, why not? She's like, oh, that would only be people who follow a vegetarian diet. And I was like, well, I do. (laughs) So can you check? (laughs) And she just assumed you wouldn't be a vegetarian. Yeah, just so many assumptions. And so I think the same thing with diabetes. People make a lot of assumptions that, oh, it's your fault. I think, you know, a lot of times with even providers or doctors, I've seen, you know, them tell patients like, oh, you brought this on yourself because you're, you know, eating too many of these foods or you're overindulging. And it's kind of like this God complex. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And I think that for a lot of patients who feel like their diabetes is their fault, they're going to be more disempowered and less likely to engage in health promoting behaviors or in self-management because they're getting from not only their doctors, but from the world that like they failed, they've done something wrong. And so I think that it's really important to take away these like cultural biases and stereotypes, because if you go into it thinking like this is this person's fault, you think that they eat a certain way or all these things, and there's, you know, no other factors that can be involved that might be out of the patient's control, like maybe living in a food desert or what some people might call food apartheid, all these different things. And of course, you're not going to be able to help that patient with their diabetes and self-management. So I think that that can definitely lead to worse health outcomes, including complications with diabetes. It feels like such a huge piece of it that's so rarely there when doctors are handing over kind of like form letters and, you know, generic one-size-fits-all advice on how to approach this treatment. So tell us a little more about how Diabetes Digital will work. Like, let's say I just got diagnosed with diabetes. How do I find you? What am I going to do with you? How does it work? Okay, so if you just got 
diagnosed with diabetes, A, we would recommend getting a referral from your doctor to work with a dietitian. Not all states require referrals, but many do, including California. And we are serving 23 states right now. Wow. So if you have been diagnosed with diabetes or you've had diabetes for a long time and you feel like you want more support or you have pre-diabetes or you even want to prevent diabetes. I mean, you haven't been diagnosed yet, but you have a family history. We will work with you. We also work with people who have gestational diabetes. So all you have to do, it's a very simple process. Go to our website. Our website is diabetesdigital.co. That's .co. And we have a get started form. So it's diabetesdigital.co slash patient. Fill out this 30-second form. And we'll let you know if we work in your state We are in 23 states right now, and we're working on adding more states every day because our goal would be to be in all 50 states because we have gotten a ton of interest from folks who are not yet in our covered states. And so we are working on that and we'll let you know. But we're in 23 right now and we accept insurance in all 23. So we currently accept Aetna, Cigna, United Healthcare, including UMR and Medicare, and we accept Blue Cross Blue Shield, including Blue Shield of California. And we're also almost a network with HealthNet in California as well. And the amazing thing, and I'm surprised by this too, is that most of our patients actually don't pay anything. Most patients under their preventative benefits pay nothing out of pocket and have unlimited visits. Not everybody, but most, and especially certain plans. So it's really exciting. And many of our patients meet with a dietitian every other week, or some people want more support and they meet every week with a dietitian and their plan supports it. And for people who are not in network, that's okay because there's still other options for out of network. So for example, we have a self-pay membership option that's affordable. You can also take that quiz and we'll tell you if you qualify for that. We'll even do a discovery call with you if you want to learn more. And for many folks, they can try to get reimbursed as an out-of-network service. So we may not be in your network, but your insurance provider may reimburse you for some of the money that you spend on the membership. And we can help you do that by giving you a super bill at the end of the month that you would give directly to your insurance. You can also pay with flex spending or HSA. So there's many different options. And again, you would go to our website, diabetesdigital.co, do the get started quiz, and we will let you know based on that what you qualify for. And as we mentioned, we really want to tailor our approach to resonate with your cultural background. And of course, we don't know every single culture, but one way that I like to think about it, and this I'm stealing from our dietitian friend, Alice Figueroa, is culturally humble. So, you know, just like absorbing and learning as much as we can and being curious. Also, as we mentioned, weight inclusive. So we are focusing over well-being, over weight loss, well-being over a number on the scale. And then lastly, financially accessible. So trying our best to accept insurance. It has been, a, you know, tricky, but we're working on it. And when we can't accept, we, as we mentioned, have the membership people can do as well. And then hopefully get even reimbursed with super bills or if people have flex spending, they should be able to get reimbursed for that as well. This is really, like really a paradigm shift in terms of how we think about diabetes care and how we think about Managing a chronic condition with this kind of support feels like it must feel so different for folks than the way people are often feeling like they're kind of going in alone and then showing up at these appointments every few months to get scolded and wrist slapped and told they're not doing a good enough job. Like, this feels better than that. I like it better. 
It's kind of surprising because diabetes is one of the most prevalent chronic conditions and like the rates continue to grow exponentially year after year and we're like wow like there has to be something out there because yeah. we were like looking to see like okay well what's our competition if we were to do a platform like this and we have yet to find one that offers like everything that we offer and it's so needed there's just like a lack of diabetes resources that are culturally competent, period. But especially like because we also want to expand to offer like Spanish speaking services and Spanish speaking resources. And that is, you know, something that's also just like really, really hard to find. So we're really excited because, yeah, we think this is going to help a lot of people. And it's really filling a gap that's long overdue to be filled. I love it. All right. We are going to tackle a couple of listener questions. Let's do it. The first person writes, after years of dieting and disordered eating, I started powerlifting and eating freely. My relationship with food and my body improved drastically. And then I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. For the past year, I have been struggling and basically failing with how to manage this. It's just back to the cycle of dieting and then going all out. Any restriction really, really messes me up, but obviously I care about my long-term health. I would love to hear your thoughts. How do people with a history of disordered eating take on illnesses that can, at least partially, be managed via what they eat? Is that even possible? I'm at a loss. Okay, Freelist, this is where we leave you. To hear Wendy and Jess's thoughts on managing gestational diabetes and navigating diabetes care when you have a history of disordered eating, plus a bunch of other stuff and our butter recommendations, you're going to need to be a paid subscriber. It's just $5 a month or $50 for the year. You get a ton of cool perks and you keep this an ad and sponsor-free space. Click the link in your episode description or go to virginiasoulsmith.substack.com to join us. Thanks so much for listening and supporting anti-diet body liberation journalism.